Matt Schaff and Jared Smola of DraftSharks.com here to preview week 17 of the fantasy football season. It is, of course, championship week for most leagues, money week for most tournaments. That naturally magnifies every lineup decision that you're making in week 17. Jared, I'd say maybe the most important thing, though, that you can do is to not change your process versus the rest of the season. What you've been doing to this point has worked. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't think about who you're starting this week. It doesn't mean to blindly start your studs, but I do think that it means you should try to limit the second guessing because there is always going to be a decision that you can spend too much time on and ultimately overthink. It's tough, but you got to understand that sometimes it's just going to go wrong. Even if it was the right choice, the easiest way to get yourself into trouble this week is to overthink those decisions placing extra pressure because of the championship yeah congrats if you're watching this i would assume that means you still have at least one you know season-long team alive and you're you know, going for a championship this week if you're going for a championship i'm, I'm assuming you've made pretty good uh start sit decisions all year to reach this spot so you know i i wouldn't do anything differently you kind of you're locked in you know what you've been doing has been working and uh you know just keep keep rolling with it now, of course, there are decisions to make every week just because a guy worked for you last week or scored a bunch of points on your bench last week doesn't mean that you should necessarily put him in your lineup this week. And of course, we're still doing our normal process of projecting all these guys, filling out everything on the site that helps you set those lineups every week. Team Intel page is, of course, going. The rankings are up. You know, we're going to keep that stuff updated and we're going to run through some key decisions, some key players in the show to try to help make those decisions easier this week. Jared, that starts with CJ Stroud and we missed him for the past two weeks for teams that he might have helped get to where they are. Now, it's entirely possible because he was drafted so late this year because he was on waiver wires for a while that people have him plus a quarterback that allowed them to get through the two weeks that CJ Stroud missed. So now that Stroud's back, he's in a favorable matchup with Tennessee. What are we doing with him for week 17? I'm kind of like lukewarm on CJ Stroud this week. I think there's a lot of different factors at play here. Of course, you have Stroud coming off the concussion and he's already missed two games with his concussion. He was limited in Wednesday's practice. D'Amico Ryan's actually said Stroud's in stage four of the concussion protocol that there's five stages. So he's pretty close to being cleared. So it looks like he's going to play. We'll see what he does in practice. These final two days, not going to have tank Dell. Obviously Nico Collins came back last week. He only played like 50% of the snap. So he was obviously limited, remain limited in Wednesday's practice. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how he progresses. I'm at this point expecting Nico to be back to something close to a full go for um, this Sunday's game, but we'll keep kind of keep an eye on that. The, the matchup is good for CJ Stroud. He's at home. So, you know, he's, he's in a dome. Don't got to worry about weather for this game. He gets Tennessee who is 25th in pass defense DVOA on the season. The Texans are implied for 24 points. That's ninth highest on the week. I'm not even sure yet if that's totally factoring in like CJ Stroud definitely playing. I could see that implied total even climbing once we get confirmation that Stroud is playing. So I think you're starting the obvious guys over CJ Stroud. Like you said, people, you know, could have Justin Fields and CJ Stroud or Lamar Jackson and CJ Stroud. I think you're definitely playing those types over Stroud. The one like fringier guy I think I'd play over Stroud this week would be Matt Stafford. Uh, who's just been, you know, red hot. He gets a, a great matchup against the Giants this week. Otherwise, comparing Stroud to these other fringe quarterback one spot start types, I think I would roll with Stroud just because, you know, he he's had such a good rookie season. Um, it's such a good matchup for him. It's a big game for Houston. They obviously, you know, need this one to, you know, keep their playoff hopes alive. So um, I would air torch Stroud if you're weighing him against those other options. 
we've seen the ultimate upside for CJ Stroud this year, including, you know, most notably that game against Tampa Bay where he put up enormous numbers. It's also, I think, important to note that he hasn't just been a lock for fantasy points every week. The past three games that he played, even throwing away the one that he left early, finished QB 14, QB 3, QB 15. So there have been a lot of weeks where he's down around the bottom of that QB 12 range and even just outside of it. So, you know, again, a fully healthy CJ Stroud with everybody on the field, not a lock for big fantasy points. I think if he were at full health, if he had Tank Dell, he's probably like a top five guy in our rankings this week for this matchup. But those two things are not the case. Uh, Alex shared with us this week that um, Edwin Porras, who is at FB Injury Doc on Twitter, shared a study where he showed that quarterbacks have seen a dip in production in their return games from concussions. And it's one of those things that wouldn't necessarily seem obvious because you think if he's told that he can play again, a concussion's not the, the kind of thing where it should be limiting his play, you know, like a, like a knee or an ankle that might not be back to 100%. But a concussion is a brain injury. It makes sense that if you're just back from it, you might not be at peak decision-making. And I mean, where does that decision-making come more into play than at quarterback? So again, one of those non-obvious things that makes sense once you think about it. Stroud missed the past two weeks with a concussion. You know, we have no idea just how close he is to, to normal functionality. We'll assume mm-hmm. that he'll be all right. He is inside our top 12, but doesn't sit quite as high as I think he would at full health if Tank Dell were available. You mentioned Matthew Stafford. I think the other guy in that range is Baker Mayfield, where Stroud currently sits right behind Matthew Stafford and Baker Mayfield in our rankings. I feel a bit better about both of those guys because both Stafford and Mayfield are playing well coming into this week. They both have better sets of receivers than Stroud does, and there's no injury return challenge. So, you know, can CJ Stroud outscore Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford this week? Sure, it's definitely possible. I feel yeah. a little bit better about those two guys, though. Yeah, Stafford for me, for sure. I, I think I would lean Stroud over Baker. I think Kyler Murray, who we can talk about here in a bit, is, is close as well. Um, but again, that's, that's the type of decisions I think you're making with CJ Stroud. I think, you know, anyone kind of below that tier, I would definitely start Stroud. And then again, I wouldn't be um, looking to start him over at one of these, you know, locked in top six or seven quarterbacks. And it's important to note here that Jared has an irrational hatred for Baker Mayfield. So you have to factor that into his assessment of Mayfield. So if you are reaching a bit below that, let's say you don't have Stafford or Baker or CJ Stroud available or any of the other guys that are higher than they are in our rankings right now, who would be your favorite guy in the spot starter category at quarterback this week? Yeah, I like Kyler Murray this week. Um, I thought his outing last week was maybe just his his best just from like a real life perspective since he's returned you know tough spot in Chicago against a good Bears defense he finished quarterback 14 on the week in fantasy points last week Kyler did um, he's finished quarterback 14 or better now in four of his six games he hasn't really had like a spike game but he's he's had a pretty solid floor a lot of that is because of the rushing Kyler Murray's given you 20 plus rushing yards in five of his six games he's gone over 30 rushing yards in four of his six games so that's laid a nice floor. The passing still kind of been spotty. He's still probably not going to have Marquise Brown this week, which hurts, but he gets this Eagles defense. Um, over the last five weeks, Philly is 27th in defensive DVOA. They're 24th against the pass. 
They're 26th against the run. Um, you know, we saw Tommy DeVito have a, a crappy first half against them last week, but then Tyrod Taylor comes in in the second half and, and, you know, puts up nice numbers. So it's just a matchup we've been attacking for a lot of the season now. And, you know, the, the Cardinals are going to be playing from behind in this game. They should have elevated, you know, both rushing and passing volume for Kyler. So um, I, I like him as a spot start. Again, I'd, I'd go with CJ Stroud over Kyler Murray, but like beyond Stroud, I think you're talking about, you know, Baker and Kyler is the next two best like spot start options this week if you're, you know, dealing with a quarterback injury. I'd even be okay with, you know, if you like Kyler Murray over CJ Stroud, I think it's close enough that that's a fine decision to make, especially with that matchup. If you are even more in the spot starter range of things, needing a quarterback, you know, maybe you've been using guys like Geno Smith, Jake Browning, Nick Mullins, Joe Flacco in recent weeks. Joe Flacco's got a rough matchup tonight against the Jets. I think that Derek Carr makes plenty of sense this week. Three touchdown passes in each of his past two games. Sits 14th in our default quarterback rankings. So I'm not saying go out and grab Derek Carr to start over whoever got you here. But if you're in that range where you need help, uh, it's a, a spot that makes sense for him. He's had three of his four best PFF single game passing grades for the season among the past four games. Finished QB5 last week against the Rams. Finished QB9 against the Giants the week before that. Now, why I say don't reach too far. Just before those two games, he finished QB 22, 18, 21. He had no other finish higher than QB 10 for the season before those past couple games. And he's had just three top 12 weeks among the first 10 games this season before their later season buy. Still QB 29 in fantasy points per game. So still a risky player, but if you are looking for a spot starter level, he's got a good matchup, does Derek Carr, against the Bucks this week, who are the league's number two pass funnel defense. If you look at our pass rate over expected numbers, which are on DraftSharks.com updated every Wednesday, you can check them out now if you want to see what your matchup looks like. The Bucks have faced the fourth most pass attempts in the league for the season, allowed the league's most passing yards, and they might even be without a couple of key Passing game pieces on defense this week. Cornerback Carlton Davis has a concussion. Edge Shaq Barrett has a groin injury. So both of those guys missed practice Wednesday. We'll see about their availability. But even if both of them make it back, it's been an exploitable pass defense for Tampa Bay. Yeah, these Bucks games have been pretty fun for a while now. You know, we even saw it last week. Uh, Trevor Lawrence struggled for most of that game, and then CJ Beathard came in and you know put up some numbers. So it's definitely a um, a Bucks team that, like you said, that you know, te- teams go pass heavy against them, which kind of leads to you know shootout potential in these games. So yeah, Carr, I, I don't trust the guy. I don't trust him to even make it through a game healthy. It seems like he leaves every third game with some injury. Um, but it's it's definitely an, an upside spot for him. Another guy that has proved through the years that we shouldn't trust him is Clyde Edwards. <laughs> Lair, but it sure looks like he's about to lead this Kansas City backfield in week 17 against Cincinnati with Isaiah Pacheco suffering a concussion last week with Jarek McKinnon already on IR. Jared, how much should we like? I guess trust isn't the word, but Trust really is what we have to do with, with CEH yeah. this week. Yeah, I mean, definitely not a must-start Edwards Lair, but I think he's probably going to be, you know, RB two, maybe even RB three or flex play for a lot of teams at this point of the season. But the running back landscape, I mean, like you said, McKinnon on IR, we know he's out. Pacheco likely out. Um, the Michael Pirine is on the the Chiefs active roster. They have a couple other you know scrubs on the practice squad, and I think Edwards Lair is going to get most of the work in this game. And it's really to me, it's the, the matchup that makes him interesting. I mean, Edwards Zolaire has still, he's not been good this year in limited chance. He's averaging just 3.3 yards per carry. He has broken off some long catch and runs over the last three weeks specifically. He has 
20, 48, and 32-yard catches over the past three weeks. So that's kind of reminded you why the, the Chiefs actually took this guy in the first round a few years ago. But it's this it's this Bengals defense that's 28th in run defense DVOA. They're allowing 4.5 yards per carry to running backs on the season. The Bengals have allowed a running back to score 15-plus PPR points in five of their last seven games. One of the games they didn't was actually last week against the Steelers and, and Najee Harris and Jalen Warren combined for 24 PPR points in those games. So it's just been an excellent matchup. And like Everett Zelayer, again, he should get most of the backfield work for a Chiefs team that is, you know, still implied for over 25 points this week. I know it's kind of tough to believe. I don't think they've reached that mark in a while, but um, you know, I, I think in this matchup, you could see you know, something closer to the old Chiefs offense. Their implied points for this week are at a number that they've only reached five times in 15 games this season. So I don't know if Vegas is overrating them or if I need to trust them more than I feel like I should. I will say that this version of the Chiefs offense is not as prepared to lean heavily on the pass as some past versions might have been like last year even or especially before that, when Tyreek Hill was still around, we could count on these Chiefs going like 70% pass with such a depleted backfield and just a limited player left back there. But this version doesn't seem as ready to do that. Chiefs running backs rank 12th in PPR points per game for the position, but not with a lot of carries. 28th in RB carries for the season, 8th in running back receptions. You mentioned the long catches and runs for CEH lately. Nobody does screen passes better than Andy Reid. So that's certainly an upside area for CEH in this game. The team is tied for the second most running back touchdown catches. We know that throughout his still young career, Clyde Edwards-Elair has struggled near the goal line. So that's a mark against him. But the Chiefs also like to throw the ball down there. He has been involved in that. He has seven career touchdown catches from inside the 10-yard line, you know, despite not playing well overall and being phased out of the offense. So you mentioned the implied points. Chiefs are fifth in that category this week ahead of the Ravens and Rams. I think ultimately we've got CEH at RB16 and PPR right now. It's not a comfy spot, but I look at it. And I'm not like, I definitely mm -hmm. want these guys who are behind him ahead of him. There are some decisions to make in there. I'm not sure if I were looking at my own lineup and thinking CEH versus Raheem Mostert. I'm not sure that I could make that CEH choice right there. But I also can't argue that he doesn't belong ahead of Raheem Mostert, mm -hmm. considering their two matchups this week. Yeah, there there are some names behind Everett Zelaya for sure that would be um, uncomfortable sitting for for Ceh. I mean, to to me, like I look at Zeke Elliott, I would definitely play Ceh over Zeke Elliott. I would feel comfortable playing Ceh over Derrick Henry this week against what's been a really good Houston run defense that, that just shut down Henry a couple weeks ago. So, I mean, you know, those are the type, types we're talking about that um, I think, you know, you, you could be benching for Edwards Alaire this week. Know that it's ultimately your decision just because our rankings say CEH is here and Raheem Mostert is here. doesn't mean you have to do that. You know, make sure you're comfy with whatever decision you make for your lineup. But I think it makes sense given these scenarios. And, you know, just since I brought up Raheem Mostert, He's been very touchdown dependent. Now, obviously, he's in an excellent offense for scoring those touchdowns. But if he doesn't score a touchdown, his week looks much worse. And they're playing Baltimore this week. Exactly. Stephon Diggs has, if you made it here 
It's not because <laughs> Stefan Diggs is on your team. You got yeah. here in spite of his recent production. He's lower than usual in our rankings this week. And Jared, I have a team that's in a championship, a money championship this week with Stefan Diggs that I've just kept in the lineup every week, despite his recent lull in production, mm-hmm. 14th in our PPR rankings this week. I think it's okay if you do have three guys higher than that ranking to sit Stefan yeah. Diggs, even though that's never going to feel good. But I, I can't push him down farther than that. I think this is one of those cases where I am going to lean toward start your stud as opposed to reaching too far for a replacement. In five games under offensive coordinator Joe Brady, Dix is averaging 4.6 catches and 40 yards per game. Um, he's 48th among wide receivers in PPR points per game over that, that span. It hasn't been a target share problem. He has a 27% target share in those five games, which is really like about where he's been, maybe a tad lower, but pretty much, you know, about where he's been as a bill. The two problems are the bills pass volume is down under Brady, you know, 32 attempts per game over the last five versus 35 attempts per game over the first 10. And especially the last two weeks, the bills have thrown 15 and 21 passes over the last two weeks. You know, that that's kind of fluky. That's not going to happen again. If it is going to happen again, maybe it's in this spot against the England with their massive favorites. But the thing I like about this Patriots matchup is they are a pass funnel. New England on the season is second in run defense DVOA, 17th in pass defense DVOA, and they're sixth in pass rate over expected again. So at least while this game is close, it should be a game where the Bills lean back into the pass. Now, again, in the second half, if it's a you know 20 point game, it could be a lot of running. But I do think you're going to get at least more pass volume this week than you did the last two weeks. Again, Stefan Diggs is still dominating Bills targets. Um, so I, I think, like you said, he's, he's not a must start. I expect him to, to produce better than he has over you know these past few weeks because I do think you're going to get more volume from the Bills on Sunday. And the target volume has been down with that passing volume, but over those past five games that you mentioned where they have thrown the ball less, he's still seen eight-plus targets in four of those. So it's been decent. The other thing that's working against him a bit is a shortened average target depth. Through week seven, Stefan Diggs had an dot of 11.3 since week yeah. eight that's just 7.4 now four yards shorter on your targets is pretty significant and especially if you then couple that with less passing volume but we don't want to overrate you know certain stretches if we look at just last week's game he had a 14.3 a dot which is one of his highest for a single game for the season so any given game, that number can rebound. Josh Allen still has a strong arm. He still has Stefan Diggs as his number one target. Again, this is one that unless I have three guys ranked higher and, you know, yeah. I talked about not reaching, but like Rashi Rice is one of the guys ranked higher. I think if you look at how he's been recently, there's nothing wrong with starting Rashi Rice over Stefan Diggs this week. That's one where if you look at the names, it seems like you're reaching. But based on how things have been going, there's nothing wrong with making that decision. But if you don't have three guys in our top 13, I'm sticking with Diggs. And if I lose because, you know, Diggs gets outscored by KJ Osborne this week, I'm okay with that. As opposed to if I lose because I played KJ Osborne and Stefan Diggs had a Stefan Diggs game. Yeah, well, on top of the ADAP being down, like you mentioned, Diggs has a 54% catch rate over the last five games. So, like, it's just weird how inefficient he's been with Josh Allen over the last five games now. We'll see where it goes, you know, over the rest of the season and into the playoffs. Cause like it's, it's going to be a discussion heading into 2024. Like, is, is Diggs, has he kind of hit the wall? You know, he, he is going to be 31, I think, this offseason. Fair to say he's definitely a declining player, but you know, how big is that decline going to be? I think it's definitely something to watch over the rest of the season as we, you know, start to figure out where Diggs is going to slide into the, the uh, 2024 rankings.
And it's not like some other receiver is moving ahead of him. Gabe Davis just had a big game, but has been mostly a zero under Joe Brady. So I would say it behooves these bills to get Stefan Diggs on track ahead of the playoffs. Like it, it would yep. be a good idea for them to try to get him back in the right mindset, back productive, whatever. So there's reason to believe in Stefan Diggs still. Amari Cooper gave us reason to believe in him with an enormous game last week, Jared, but now he's got a Thursday night matchup against one of the league's toughest pass defenses, and he's got a heel issue. What are we doing with Amari Cooper for week 17? Yeah, this is like brutal to have Cooper on your team, and I'm sure if you started Cooper last week, you're definitely in your league's championship, but like you might be benching Amari Cooper, which will probably feel horrible, but I mean, yeah, the, the heel injury is just on top of what is the toughest wide receiver matchup this season. Um, the Jets are first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And it's by a wide margin. The Jets are reducing wide receiver scoring by 40%. The next toughest defense is at 21%. So they are, you know, basically twice as tough against wide receivers as any other defense. That's included number one wide receivers. The Jets have held number one wide receivers to 60 yards per game. That's seventh lowest in the NFL. Now they, they have allowed four Big games, four games of 25 plus PPR points to some elite wide receivers. Steph Diggs, Tyreek Hill, CD Lamb, and Jalen Waddle all went over 25 PPR points against the Jets, but only six other receivers have even reached double digit PPR points against the Jets. So that's just 10 total receivers in what, uh, 15 games now have reached double digit PPR points against the Jets. The other interesting thing about this matchup tonight is we've talked about the Browns being super pass heavy since Joe Flacco took over. The Jets are dead last in pass rate over expected against, meaning teams lean towards the run more against the Jets than any other defense. So we'll see exactly what that means for the Browns game plan tonight. But I am expecting them to throw quite a bit less um, because of the matchup and because you have Amari Cooper dealing with this heel injury. Yeah, and uh, that heel is certainly worth bringing up. Like, we'll see. I would guess that he ends up being active, but it's it's an issue where we're getting reports like the Browns are going to see how he feels this morning and throughout the day. He's hopeful he's going to play, but it's up in the air. I mean, if we were if we had fully healthy Amari Cooper, I'm probably just taking a shot on him against the Jets this week. But when we couple the matchup with that physical issue, he's sitting wide receiver 27 in our PPR ranks right now. And I think that's a totally fair spot for him. Like there are a yep. couple guys ahead of him where if you want to start Amari Cooper over Calvin Ridley, fine, no problem with that, but it's tough to move Amari Cooper up from where he is in those rankings. I think. Yeah. I'm comfortable with where he is. Again, he's in a spot where he's definitely not a must start. There are teams where he's going to be one of your top three or four wide receivers because of the matchup and this injury. I would not be afraid to sit Amari Cooper. If you do find, you know, three guys uh, significantly higher in the rankings. I mentioned KJ Osborne in relation to Stefan Diggs. I think he's worth mentioning because he's one of those guys that could give yeah. us sneaky numbers this week, but he's not inside of wide receiver three range. What do you think of KJ Osborne for week 17? Well, what I think about KJ Osborne is, is he's not very good, which is why he doesn't sit higher than he does. Um, KJ Osborne's never topped 1.30 yards per route run in a season. This year he's at 1.07. That's 70th among 85 qualifiers. So that's the problem with KJ Osborne. The spot for him this week almost could not be better. Um, you have TJ Hawkinson definitely out with his uh, multi-ligament knee injury. Jordan Addison, we're expecting to miss. Um, Ian Rapport called his ankle injury a week-to-week thing. He did not practice on Wednesday, so we're expecting him to miss. Hawkinson and Addison have combined for 14.8 targets per game. Now, some of that's come without Justin Jefferson, so I'm not saying they're leaving behind quite that much work, but there, there's a lot of targets up for grabs now against a Green Bay pass defense that 
is dead last in past defense DVOA over the last five weeks. I've been looking at DVOA all season. Washington has been dead last over basically any span for I'm pretty sure every week I've looked this season. But this week, if you look over the last five weeks, the Green Bay Packers are the worst pass defense in the NFL. Over that span, over the last five weeks, they've allowed nine wide receivers to score 14 plus PPR points again in five games in three of those five games, you've had multiple wide receivers score 14 plus PPR points. So, you know, Jefferson's going to get there. I feel pretty sure about that, but um, I think there's a chance that, you know, Osborne kind of gets to that territory and, you know, scores as a, you know, wide receiver three for you. And that defense will go without its lead corner. Once again, Jair Alexander, because they suspended him for basically being a doofus. So <laughs> KJ Osborne sits 41st in our PPR ranks at wideout right now. I'd honestly, in my own lineup, probably play him over everybody between his current spot and like Tyler Lockett at wide receiver 28, just chasing that upside in an offense that has scored the 12th most wide receiver PPR points for the season. Even with Justin Jefferson playing in only eight games, I think there will be plenty of targets available. I think it's it's tougher to project because we don't really know what the target share is going to be for KJ Osborne with these yeah. injuries because we haven't faced this Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson being out. It'd be a little bit easier with Jefferson being out because we have more to go on there. KJ Osborne's not a lock. Brandon Powell has been involved as well. You know, they, they can throw to the running backs. Maybe they run a little bit more, but... I feel pretty good about the target outlook on Osborne this week and yeah. the productivity of that offense to this point. Yeah, me too. I love the matchup again. Um, indoor game, plenty for both teams to play for. We don't even know who's playing quarterback for Minnesota yet, which is the other downside, right? Like Nick Mullins has kind of been all over the place, some some good, some bad. So there's definitely some risk to KJ Osborne. But, I mean, again, the the, the spot as far as volume upside and, and matchup is, is as good as he can ask for. I'll be curious to see the betting market lines on him and on Clyde Edwards Elair as we get later in the week. I don't think Osborne has a receiving line yet. I'm not sure whether I checked that one though. Edwards Elair definitely didn't have a rushing line before we started this recording. So I think it'll be interesting to look at those numbers as we get deeper in the week and compare them to others in the same range of our rankings. For sure. Let's close this out like we'd usually do with defense. And Jared, assuming that somebody doesn't already have a high-end answer at the position this week, who's your favorite yeah. spot start on defense? This is kind of a, a tricky week on defense, which is hopefully why you know you've had a couple stashed over the last few weeks and kind of had one lined up for week 17. I think I think my two favorites among like defenses that are less than 50% started in, in leagues right now are both sides of this of this Falcons Bears game. These defenses over the last five weeks, the bear the bears are four and defensive DVOA. And we've talked about them a lot as just a defense that's that's been good in real life for most of the season now, actually. Atlanta is up to eighth in defensive DVOA over the last five weeks. And both these teams are also top 10 fantasy defenses in most scoring systems over the last five weeks. The Bears um, had four straight top six finishes before finishing 19th last week. Atlanta, though, has finished top 10 in three of their last five games. Um, they were actually uh, 13th in in another one. So they, you know, they've, they've had, um, you know, four pretty solid outings among their last five. Um, you know, both these offenses present upside to the opposing defenses, you know, for, for different reasons. Um, I, I do think, you know, the uh, fields is still a pretty good bet to, to take sacks and, you know, potentially turn the ball over. So I think, I, I think it's going to be a pretty low scoring defensive battle. And I think both sides of this game will you know, give you a 
pretty good fantasy production. I'm a little bit more wary of the offensive upside on the Chicago side than I am on the Atlanta side. So I, I would pretty easily take the Bears uh, oh, yeah. if both of these defenses are available. I wrote up the Bears in the waiver article earlier this week, and they are still, as of Thursday morning, available in 73% of sleeper redraft leagues. So people aren't really on the Bears in mass at this point. They've had a, a just meh fantasy week against the Cardinals last week, but it was a fine defensive performance. They allowed 16 points to Arizona in that game, 306 total yards, which is right at Arizona's average for the season. Before that game, the Bears had 14 takeaways over the previous four weeks. They've had improved sack production and just overall defensive performance since making the trade for Montez Sweat. Atlanta didn't work out as a matchup if you played the Colts defense last week, it remains a high upside matchup though with Taylor Heineke at quarterback, plenty of turnover potential and the bears, like I said, have done well on the sack front since sweat arrived. So I think there's a decent floor there and I think the ceiling is high. Yeah, and this game's in Chicago too, which I think helps both defenses. If it was, you know, indoors in Atlanta, I think there'd be more potential for the offenses, but I, I'd be surprised if, uh, you know, th this game got over, you know, 42, 43 points. If the bears aren't available, check the free agent finder to see the best options that are actually available in your league. Again, though, don't overthink it. If you have a defense that's ranked inside our top eight right now, doesn't mean you go reaching for the best looking one on the waiver wire. Maybe you just play that one. We will keep everything updated throughout the week because we want to close this out and help you win your season. 